We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today. I, uh, I've become claustrophobic over the last 10 years or so, something I never expected. And the worst experience I had of claustrophobia happened on an airplane maybe five years ago. Um, Karen and I had just been down to see our son Joel in, in Waco, Texas. We'd flown back from Dallas. And that evening, landed on the runway. You know, it takes, seems like forever to taxi after you land up to the terminal. And when it came time to deplane, I, I stood up like everybody does, you know, or as much as I could stand up with the overhead compartment or the on-your-head compartment, you know. And I waited, and the line of passengers trying to get off the plane didn't move for the longest time. I've never seen anything like it. Everybody just stayed right where they were. And if there's some VIP up in first class that they wanted to get off the plane and out of sight before the rest of us left or what was going on. But we stood there and we stood there and we stood there and no one budged and this dread sense of being squeezed and unable to escape descended on me, never experienced anything like it. Uh, and my ears, they always plug up on a flight and so that just made it worse. I felt like even my senses were trapped and couldn't get out. And when we finally got off the plane, I promised myself I'm never gonna fly again. This is it. But because we have a son in California and we have a son in Dallas, I didn't keep my promise. And, and the next flight was just fine. Best flight ever. But I haven't forgotten that feeling of being stuck between a rock and a hard place, hardly able to breathe and desperate to get out. Something like that feeling occurs in everyday life too. We feel stuck, sometimes exposed to danger. Vulnerable. St. Paul knew about that feeling. He knew that we all experience it and that we sometimes desperately long for something different, something better. He told us how that something better has already begun in our lives because of Christ, but it's still incomplete. And until it's complete, there will be times when we feel just as trapped as I did on that airplane and want to be out just as badly. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes, this is verse 1, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a house, a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing, to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we're clothed, we'll not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we don't wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it's God who's made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. In Greek, the first verse is not really now we know, but for we know. In the previous sentence, actually, because we have chapter divisions in our Bibles, but that's now, of course, how Paul wrote. He wrote a letter, not with chapter divisions. And that previous sentence he'd just written, we fix our eyes on what is unseen rather than what is seen. And then he explains why we do that in verse 1 of this chapter. For we know, and I'll paraphrase, for we know that we'll have a heavenly dwelling when this earthly body falls apart. The NIV's phrase, the earthly tent we live in, is in Greek something like our earthly house tent. Paul pictures us as if we were 
squatters. And earth is as if it were a tent city filled with refugees. Our situation, he knew, is transitory. It could change any day. And it will change someday. In verse 2, he writes, meanwhile, we groan. The word groan comes from a root that means to be squeezed or pressed. It's as if the, the groan is the sound that we make when the pressures of life squeeze the air right out of us. We feel pressed and we want out. We want more. We want, verse 5, that for which God made us. We long for it. Even when we don't know, that's what we're longing for. We feel naked, verse 3, and vulnerable and desperate. We want to get out of this situation and into something better, and God wants that too. He made us, verse 5, for this very purpose. Perhaps the day is coming when, as John Donne suggested, we will be made God's music. But you know what? There are no accordions in his orchestra. We're not made to be squeeze boxes with the groans squeezed out of us. God has something better in mind. Our current state of affairs isn't going to last forever. The work will be finished someday, and we will be complete. Verse 4 describes what being finished will be like. We will be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. For the first time, that feeling that's resident in all of us, Sometimes we're aware of it, sometimes we're not, but it's always present, the feeling that there must be something more. For the first time, that feeling will be gone. We'll have something more. We'll be something more. It'll be like awaking from a long sleep. On that day, we'll realize that what we long for on earth was never a thing a house or a car or good looks or popularity. Those were all substitutes. It was never a thing. It was a person. And the person we so desperately longed for was, surprise, ourself, our true self. Ours is the longing of the caterpillar or the tadpole to become our future self. From the deepest place in our hearts, we long to become real to become ourselves, to be complete. And when we're complete, when we become our true selves, it will be our delight to give ourselves away to God. Each of us is in a building program. We are being constructed on a blueprint, which the Apostle Paul calls the image of Christ. By the grace and kindness of God, through the experiences that he sovereignly allows us, sometimes ones we would never take for ourselves, we have been accorded the honor of assisting God in his building program. It's his program, right? We get to contribute to the finished product. We think that we do everything, but not by any stretch of the imagination. We get to contribute in small but meaningful ways. And like other building programs, there'll come a day for inspection. Paul speaks to that in verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what's due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. When we read that verse, we often think of it as juridical, you know, as if, it, if, as if it's all about being found guilty or innocent, punished or rewarded. That, I think, is not quite what Paul had in mind. 
the day will come when we must stop building. This phase of construction, the things done while in the body, that phase, it'll be over. The heavenly dwelling will be finished, ready for occupancy, and it'll be time for inspection. The inspector Christ himself will verify what we've become and stamp the project complete. The Greek that underlies our English translation, something like this, we must each appear before the Bema of Christ to be recompensed in the light of the things practiced through the body. It's our practices, the things that we do again and again with which we contribute to God's building program for good or ill, or as the NIV puts it, whether good or bad. And it will be good if we're cooperating with God, depending on his spirit and doing his will as best we know how. It'll be very good, better than we ever hoped or imagined. We'll all be so joyful that this is who we are by the grace of God. The God who saw that his first creation was good and blessed it will see that his second creation is good and bless it. Now you understand, right, that you are building something out of the life and experiences that God gives you. It might be better to say that you're bringing to God something from all your experiences for him to use in the building project. And when it's done, he's going to present the keys to you. You're going to keep what you've built or to be more precise, you're going to be what you've built. So build well. Since we build out of what we do in the body, since our practices are what we're bringing to God, those practices are of the utmost importance. David Myers has written in Psychology Today, if social psychologists have proven anything in the last 30 years, They've proven that the actions we take leave a residue inside us. That is very Paul-like. He goes on, most people presume the reverse, that our traits and attitudes affect our behaviors. But we're as likely to act ourselves into a new way of thinking as to think our way into a new way of acting. If he'd written, act ourselves into a new way of being, he would have hit the nail on the head. In any given, in every lived experience, every experience, a disagreement with a spouse or a friend, a chance to help or pray for someone, the opportunity to slack off or to give extra effort at work, a, a word of encouragement from a friend or an insult from an enemy, a slight from a neighbor, a painful illness, a promotion, a demotion, even death itself. Every experience provides the materials with which we build. And everyday life is the construction site. This is the construction site, your life. We can either use those experiences to trust God and do what Jesus says or ignore God and do what seems best at the moment. That's the difference between building well and building poorly. But either way, what we have to understand is that we're building something. Ourselves. Now, remember, this is not a DIY, a do-it-yourself project. 
If you could do it yourself, it would be a disaster, but you can't do it yourself. The material you work with, the new self, is provided by God, not you. The blueprint is God's blueprint. The power for the work is God's spirit. You can no more build the truer, fuller life without the spirit than you can run a power saw without power or a pneumatic nailer without a compressor. It's God's spirit, verse 5, not our strength or our determination or our wisdom that's our guarantee that this project's going to come out. And the foundation on which all of it is built is Christ Jesus himself. His death and resurrection are what make this all possible. Christ's death and resurrection created possibilities that hadn't existed before. His death and resurrection made a new life possible. Not just for us, but for everyone. And for the earth itself, his death and resurrection was the beginning. It was the singularity. It was the big bang of the new creation. Paul, Paul had known about Jesus before. But he had thought of Jesus' death as warranted punishment. The warranted punishment of a dangerous and perhaps deranged man. Paul, though, later became convinced that the death and resurrection of Jesus was the very fountain from which God's new creation flows. The death and resurrection sets us right with God, and it sets us on our way to becoming like Christ. His death made it possible for the old deteriorating self to die without destroying us. And his resurrection is what gives the new self its life and power. Paul saw the death and resurrection of Jesus as the crucial event in the whole history of the world. Verse 14 says, We're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Christ made it possible for the dying world to die in him. He took us into his death. He experienced the death we deserve and can't avoid. And he experienced it on our behalf. And now because of what he's done, that old deteriorating self can die without taking us with it. Everything we've been talking about in recent weeks, about putting to death what belongs to your earthly nature, about putting on the new person, it's all founded in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Look now at verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. <clears throat> See, that old deteriorating self, it can't live for anyone but itself. That's its nature. But the new person, that's, that's the nature of sin. That's what the fall did to humanity. But the new person, Paul's language, the new person, that the resurrection of Jesus made possible is free to live boldly, adventurously even, for someone else. For Jesus. The old self can never do that. Once Paul had seen the cosmic importance of Christ's death and resurrection, it changed the way he looked at everything else. Remember, he thought that Jesus' death was deserved. Here's a man who's dangerous. He's deranged. Now that's all changed. After he'd seen how important it was, everything he looked at looked different. There's a scene in Kim Potok's book, I am Asher Lev, in which the hero, who's still a boy, sitting at the dinner table, 
And at that moment, he realizes that he's an artist. He's eating dinner. He looks at his father, and he sees him in a way he's never seen anyone before. This is how he describes it. I looked at my father and saw lines and planes I had never seen before. I could feel with my eyes. I could feel lines and points and planes. I could feel texture and color. I felt myself flooded with the shapes and textures of the world around me. I closed my eyes, but I could still see that way inside my head. I was seeing with another pair of eyes that had suddenly come awake. I was seeing with another pair of eyes that had suddenly come awake. The Apostle Paul could have written that line. For much of his life, he saw people the way everyone sees them. He saw their strengths and their weaknesses, their successes and their failures, but it was really easier to see their failures than their successes. But once he had seen Jesus' death and resurrection for what it was, he saw everything else. He saw people in a way he had never seen them before. That old worldly point of view was gone. He had once seen people sort of two-dimensionally, They just measured up against his expectations. He looked at everyone, even Christ, he says, in that way, but not anymore. Now he saw people against the backdrop of Christ's death and resurrection, the fountain of the new creation. When Jesus died, the world died in the night. Men and women, even the best of them, had been taken into his death. And even the worst of them could be taken into his resurrected life. And that changed everything. Paul realized that the new creation for which he and his fellow Pharisees had prayed and longed and fasted had burst onto the scene right in the middle of the old creation. That wasn't how he thought it would happen. And he wasn't able to take it in at first. But now that he'd seen it, his perceptions had been permanently altered. Chesterton, thinking about the earliest disciples on the day of Christ's resurrection, wrote, In varying ways, they realized the new wonder, but even they hardly realized that the world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation with a new heaven and a new earth. And in a semblance of the gardener, God walked again in the garden in the cool, not of the evening, but of the dawn. Christ's death and resurrection changed everything and everyone. The new creation, dreamed of by prophets and seers, was happening, not in some distant future, but now. It materializes every time a man or woman or child is made new by faith in Jesus. That's why Paul can write in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Or... Literally, it's very staccato in Greek. If anyone in Christ, new creation. My family and I started going to Ontario on fishing vacations in 1964. We would uh, occasionally back then see wildlife, you know, a bear or a moose or a white-tailed deer. And in those days, seeing a deer was about as rare as seeing a bear or a moose. Nowadays... Karen and I see deer just almost every day here in the country. But back then, I'd never seen a deer within 100 miles of where I lived. So when we go to Canada and see a deer, we'd be excited about it. Someone would almost shout, look, deer! That's what verse 17 reminds me of. But instead of saying, look, deer, Paul says, 
Look, new creation. That's what he got excited about. The new creation started when Jesus was raised from the dead. Just one man among millions and now billions. But what God was doing in and through him changed everything. Jesus opened a hole in the grave. And it was like opening a hole in a dam that holds back a mighty reservoir. The new creation is pouring into the world, one person at a time for now, but someday it will break through and come on the world like a flood. So what difference does that make to us? What should we do about it? Well, that's just like us. What should we do about it? Let's do something. Before we do anything about it, let's simply acknowledge the fact we are part of something that is much bigger and more powerful than us. We are caught up in something that's changing the nature of reality itself. We didn't start it. We can't stop it. But we can join it. How do you do that? Well, if you haven't done so already, join God's side by faith in Jesus and in the obedience that comes from faith, to borrow Paul's phrase. If you don't know how to do that, maybe you've been thinking about it for a while, but you don't know how, then ask me or a friend who's already got started. There's a bunch of us around. The new creation building program is underway. So what are you waiting for? Then learn the pattern of new creation life. This is what we've been talking about in recent weeks. It is cross-shaped. Cross Cruciform is the technical word. It is cross-shaped and it's resurrection-powered. We put to death the old deteriorating self, not by willpower alone, but by union with Christ in his death. And in that same union, the new self is energized and grows by Christ's resurrection power. And then do this. Stop looking at people in the same way you've always looked at them. Don't think of people the way others do. Oh, they're cool or they're not. They're good or they're bad. They're religious, they're irreligious. They're worthy, they're unworthy. He's helpful to me. He's useless to me. They're in, they're out. That's how everybody else sees them. You need to see them. Ask God to help you see them differently. I mean, everybody. Your spouse, the, the person working the cash register at Walmart, the person at the gas station you pay, everybody. The people you see at work, at school, at the breakfast table, they're more than you ever realized. They are potential masterpieces of the new creation. And the power to carry them into the new creation is already at work all around them. So value them. Whether they're Christians or not, whether they fail or succeed, even when they disagree with you, value them, whether they're a help or a hindrance. A few years ago, a boy in, in Manila, in one of the slums in Manila, was walking along the river, through the river, actually, that runs through the city, and he found a gold nugget. He took it to his dad, who took it to somebody and sold it right away for $500, and then he used that money to buy a bicycle and a television. When word got out what, where, why that money came from, 
hundreds, maybe thousands of people in the slums descended on the river. And they were combing its garbage-strewn shores for gold. Now, it's the same river it had always been, with the same trash. But people suddenly saw beyond the trash to what it might yield. They saw with new eyes. After Paul saw what people might become because of Christ, he never saw them the same way again. The changes didn't happen because he saw potential in them. That's not where the potential lies. It doesn't lie in us. But because he saw the sweeping power of the new creation flowing from Christ's cross and his resurrection. In other words, he didn't learn to see people differently by looking at them and saying, oh, let me stare at this person long and hard enough and I'll see what potential lies in them. He learned to look at them differently by looking at Jesus. I invite you to do the same. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we have not even begun to plumb the depths of what happened on the cross. and what flowed from the empty tomb. We don't understand, but may we experience all that you have for us. Lord, make us into what we can be, not just now, but for eternity. We submit to you, the master builder. And we do it because of and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and the chief cornerstone. Amen.